Hi and welcome back to Spine Chillers and Serial Killers. I'm Becky. What? Oh God! <laughs> I'm Tash, and I'm Emma. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm so sorry. I think you should tell everyone what you just told us that cranberry is <laughs> apparently growing water. <laughs> no, I think they do. I'm sure cranberries are growing in water. But you know, when you tell someone a fact, and you're like. I Is think I've just lied about that. <laughs> and, but wait, before you say it, you say it with such conviction and then as soon as it leaves your mouth, you're like, um, actually, I have no idea what I'm saying. And I actually did this the other day at the opticians. So I took my children to have their eyes tested and... They like asked you loads of questions like, have is there any like eye conditions in your family? Is anyone colourblind? Blah blah blah. And I went, Yeah, I think my brother's colourblind. And as soon as it left my mouth, I was like, I think I've just lied to you. I don't <laughs> think that's true at all. <laughs> oh why? I don't know why. I was so convinced of what I said initially and then instantly regretted it. And I was like, I'm so, he was really young and like, cool, so it was fine. And I was just like an absolute bumbling mess. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I think I've just lied about that. <laughs> well, you also lied about the cranberries because I've just Googled yeah. it. And it says, no, there is picture. There are pictures <laughs> of cranberries growing in water, but it, it says... Do cranberries really grow in water? And it says, the short answer is no. no. <laughs> Do you know what I'm getting that from is that advert and it's the two like, you know, like lumberjack men and they're they're pivoting on a, you know, oh, a yeah. log in water yeah, and they're in they... a field of cranberries. But I, I, as I said it, I was like, I think that's just the advert. I think it's boggy water. Yeah. Boggy water. Yeah, like wet yeah. soil. Marshland soil. Like rice. Yeah, at, let's say yes and move on. <laughs> okay. Okay. So this is a podcast about ghosts and murder, <laughs> if you were wondering. <laughs> and we will get to that. What a great intro, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was it? <laughs> Please don't cut it out, because I feel like it was so good. <laughs> <laughs> at least everyone knows that we don't rehearse these in advance. And, you know, because why? <laughs> why yep, would we yeah. say that? Oh, no, I've just realised my pyjama top's on inside out. <laughs> You're not supposed to turn it round, are you? It's unlucky. What? Oh, is it? Yeah, apparently when you notice so you've put your clothes on inside out, you're not allowed to turn them round. Well, that explains my bad luck my whole life. <laughs> well, there you go. Stop turning your clothes around when they're inside out. <laughs> so tune in for more great advice. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, welcome to episode 28. 28. And hopefully we're going to do another two. Is that right, girls? To get to 30? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're having a, a, a little break. It's just the end of the season. We're having a little weeny whiny break. But it's not even that long, is it? It's like two weeks. Yeah. Two weeks yeah. and then we'll be back. It might be three. Oh. But we're having a little break. We'll be back when we're back. Like it or lump it, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was rude. <laughs> 
No, Tasha's actually no. coming over to France for a wedding and we're all going to be together and just have a great time and get to spend time together. So that's why we're having a little break. And as soon as she's back in the UK, we'll be back at it. So it might be two weeks, might be three weeks, but we're coming back with a season two. Yeah, that we are. That we are. Right. I think it's me to start this week. It is you to start this week, actually. You're right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Correct. Gold star for me. You can't give your own gold stars out. That's not how gold stars work. I can do whatever the fuck I want. Thank you very much. I'm a grown <laughs> woman. <laughs> I'm the owner of the star charts. You know, there was, um, the, we did talk about gold stars uh, on another, I don't know if it was a mini. I think we talk about gold stars quite a lot. Yeah, but you got loads of gold stars on one episode, so I cut it all out, so. <laughs> <laughs> was that your revenge, Becky? Yeah, I was like, like oh, you got a gold star, did you? Well, I've cut it out. No more gold star You're you. such a bitch. <laughs> I think you're right, actually, because... Yeah. And I think you left yours in. Yes, I did. (laughs) (laughs) But we're currently equal, though, because you had about three more than me, so that was just unfair. Well, we're not equal because you cut mine off, which automatically (laughs) means I get four more. No, it doesn't. Emma makes the rules. We know this. (laughs) Children, no fighting. Who wants a ghost story? Don't even want a star anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I want a ghost story, ghost story, ghost story. I think this is probably the one so far that I've loved the most. This is amazing. Not that I'm building it up too much. And I'm going to have to do it in multiple parts because there's so much information to get through. So I'm hoping that... Oh no, because that means next week I'm going to miss out. Yes, but you can listen to it. Well, yeah, I can, yeah. Uh, so I'm so sorry. I've literally turned into a child today. <laughs> I'm like giggling as soon as we're on here. Now I'm crying about gold stars. <laughs> lying like, about cranberries. Why? <laughs> lying about cranberries and moaning at you. Literally like you're the teacher and I'm moaning at you because I've got a dental appointment tomorrow when you're going to continue the story. That's literally how I'm acting right now. Well, I'm sorry, Tash. No. Anyway, please tell us your story. So I'm hoping that this story will be a three-parter and it will take us to the end of our season. That's what I'm hoping. Oh, I see you did there. Yeah, see? So this week, I'm going to be talking about the old Tooele Valley Hospital, or as it's now known, Asylum 49 in Utah. After researching now for nearly 30 episodes, I can't help but wonder what are ghosts? We've talked about the time slips. Is that what we're seeing? Or a glimpse at an alternate universe? Or is it just energy that has been absorbed by the stones like the negatives of a photograph? After talking about shared death experience, we can assume there is something pleasant after death. There is a light, a beckoning to somewhere else. So why do some spirits still roam around haunting the shit out of people? Why do they? Uh, Is this an open question? Or is it a rhetorical question? <laughs> oh, what a word. Babe, uh, gold star. Piss off. <laughs> <laughs> rhetorical is like a really normal word. I just didn't expect to hear it from you. Oh. I mean, it... <laughs> no, I'm only joking. I don't Am I? No. <laughs> oh, it did surprise me. I was like, I feel oh. really attacked right now. I am really intelligent. I know you are. Tell your voice <laughs> that. <laughs> Sorry. Is there some like underlying tension going on here? No. <laughs> Is 
is it because of the star chart? Because I will just take it down. Well, I think it is. <laughs> okay. No, no more stars. Everybody feel better? the question again? Yes. Well, I don't remember. It doesn't matter. It was, in fact, a rhetorical question. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So during the research for this particular episode, I came <laughs> across an interesting theory. <laughs> yeah. When we die, our souls kind of split. All that's good in us and at peace goes off into the light. But the darkness we all have, I mean, everybody has it. The stress, the anger. I mean, Becky's is coming out of the tonight. Exactly, you oh. see. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to come no. out. I didn't mean to come out that way, if that's how you took it. <laughs> have you two quite finished arguing? <laughs> so that bit, that little bit of darkness stays. And that's what does the haunting. And it stays around until eventually it just disappears, exhausted and worn out. So that could explain why so many hauntings are scary and classed as demonic. Because it's just a bad part of us that's staying behind to create a bit of mayhem. Oh, right, and think? so like all the happy ghosts just go to the other side straight away. Yeah. If you know it's what I mean. It's a theory. Because yeah. they're it's finished. Yeah. I actually think it makes perfect sense, to be honest. Yeah, it does. Well, we're seeing a lot of theories, aren't we, throughout the, the weeks. And uh, yeah, it just, it just got me wondering. Anyway, I will start the story. So for this episode, my sources were mainly a book called The Haunting of Asylum 49 that's written by Richard E. Stepp and Cammie Anderson. And to be honest, it's possibly one of the best paranormal books I've ever read. And I'm only halfway through. So that's how good it is. So if you enjoy this, I would thoroughly recommend going to buy the book. Lovely. So as usual with my stories, I have to do a little bit of history just so you can get a feel for the place. So part of the building dates back to 1873 when it was built as a home for Samuel F. Lee and his family. Later, in 1913, it was used as an old folks home or for people that were infirm or mentally handicapped. It became known as the County Poorhouse. So in 1953, as the population grew in Tooele, due to the cheaper housing prices, the medical care was seriously lacking. So the county decided to turn this residence into a hospital. So they extended the building and it was considered at the time a state-of-the-art facility. But sadly, due to lack of funding, this was far from the case. The personnel who worked there did their best with what they had and tried to give the best care possible. However, for example, they didn't have a morgue. So the bodies of the dead would just be put into a non-refrigerated room and had to wait for the coroner to come and collect them. Oh, blimey. But this hospital stayed open up until 2002, which is pretty recent. What, so they had no morgue for all that time? Well... As far as I can see, no. Blimey. Must have been smelly. Well, yeah, can you imagine just piling dead bodies on one another? Because, you know, multiple people die a day in hospital, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you'd, you'd have thought so, yeah. So, yeah, I can't imagine it was very pleasant. So in 2002, the hospital closed due to it being too outdated to keep up with the ever-growing population. But bizarrely, it looks like the staff just walked out and locked the doors behind them, leaving all the medical equipment behind. The building was then divided into two, one half becoming a retirement home once more, and the other half was just left abandoned. I mean, that's weird as well. Well, yeah. So the land 
Predating 1873 had its fair share of unfortunate events. Without going into a huge history lesson, the famous Donna Reed party crossed the Great Salt Lake Desert and lost many oxen and cattle due to the lack of food and water. And in fact, their wagons were getting stuck in the salty sand. So I don't suppose you've heard of the Donna Reed party. No. So they were a group of American colonials who were trying to migrate from the Midwest to California. So the trip should have taken around six months, but these guys decided to take a different route, which was a big mistake. Out of the 87 members of the party, only 48 survived. Bloody hell. And they had had to resort to cannibalism to survive. Pretty gruesome when you think that most of these guys were part of the same family. Oh, God. And just to add another little fun fact to this epic haunting, in the 1800s, the land was home to the Goshut, and I hope I've pronounced that properly, the Goshut Native American tribe. Of course, it won't be long before the new arriving colonials began to clash with the natives. Big surprise. Yeah. Resulting in a lot of bloodshed and death. The Goshutes were promised territory and then denied it. I'm summing this up very simply because, you know, we're not a history podcast. But yeah, the new arrivals pissed off a lot of the natives. Now, if I know anything about hauntings... It's don't piss off the native tribes. No. Yeah, it's never a good idea. No. So back to the story. So there's now half a building, yeah? The old hospital, completely empty. And the other side, the retirement home that's fully functioning still. Well, I say still. I think it's closed now. But up until quite recently, it was still fully functioning. And this is where our story really starts. Kim Anderson and his wife Cammie were looking to buy a property to turn it into a haunted house attraction. So do you know what I mean by a haunted house attraction? You know how, like, in America they have these places that people pay to get in and there's actors and, I don't know, scary monsters and stuff that jump out at you and throw stuff at you. Do you know what I mean, Tash? Yeah, is it like a... um... It's like an attraction, isn't it? It's not necessarily a haunted place. No, 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 no. I, no, no. It's not... It doesn't... No. It's not actually haunted, but it's somewhere... Is it like when you go to the London Dungeons and they, like, pounce out at you? Is it that kind of vibe? I've never been to the London Dungeons. But it's... This kind of attraction is only open over kind of the Halloween season. Oh, and okay. Yeah, it's all blood and gore and it, people yeah. can grab you and, you know make you jump it's something that makes you jump and scream basically so for people in that kind of business the term is a haunt okay so that's what they wanted they wanted to buy somewhere to build their own haunt yeah kim had worked in one as a youngster and he says it basically saved him from going down a very dodgy path so it became his dream to one day open his own haunted house As he pulled up to the old Tuilla hospital placed on a hill like any respectable haunted house would be and conveniently just next to a cemetery, he fell in love with it. As he walked around the rooms and saw that it had been left exactly like it used to be like a running hospital, he thought to himself, this is perfect. So it was a done deal. And around 2005, I'm not exactly sure on the exact dates, but it's around 2005. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Kim bought that old hospital to turn into what is now known as Asylum 49, one of America's scariest haunted house attractions. 
he bought it with other people as well. He was he's like a co-owner, but he is yeah. he's going to be the main character of my story. Yeah. But little did he know at the time that he was actually buying a real haunted building. He found this out pretty quickly, in fact. The first day he was walking around his new property, he discovered that the retirement homeowner had tried to make a haunted house for Halloween inside the building a year ago. He found a maze in the conference room that had been made out of white sheets hanging from the ceiling. Can you picture it? That's, yeah. That doesn't sound terrifying at all. <laughs> well, that, that was kind of the aim of the game, I think. <laughs> so as Kim wanders his way through the maze, he suddenly becomes uneasy. He could sense something wasn't quite right. And then he felt it, a little tug on his combat shorts. He looked down and it happened again. Only this time he saw his shorts being tugged by an invisible presence. At that point he'd had enough. He fought his way through the sheets to get out of the maze and vowed to never go back in that room again alone. Of course he didn't tell anyone of his experience, afraid that they would think he was losing the plot, until one day he was chatting to the retirement home owner. The owner asked about the conference room. Kind of like, so what do you think of this room? And Kim actually told him about his experience. He was a little worried that he'd come across as being a bit loopy, but the owner just said, oh yes, when we ran a maze uh, there, people kept telling us the creepiest thing in there was this little dark-haired girl. We didn't have the heart to tell them that there was no such girl in the maze. Oh, God. Kim was horrified, but thinking back on to the tugging of his shorts, it's exactly the type of thing a child would do when seeking attention. Yeah. So, construction begins, and everyone working there began having weird things happen. Their tools would go missing and turn up in a completely different room. If they weren't going missing, they were being pushed off ladders. The workers would hear disembodied voices talking or calling them by their names. Oh, yeah, no. No one really talked about it. They just worked around the issues, making sure the tools were placed somewhere flat as to not be pushed off anything, and they would just hike up the music to drown out the voices. But still, these weird experiences were stuck in Kim's mind. So when a paranormal investigation team asked if they could come and spend the night, Kim agreed immediately. He, of course, expected nothing much to come of the investigation but he was wrong. He had been following the team around discreetly. After all, he wasn't about to leave perfect strangers in his new property. And he'd not seen much at all. However, afterwards, the investigators were so excited, saying they'd caught tons of EVPs. Everybody remember what an EVP is? Yeah. Yeah. They explained what these were to Kim, who had never heard of them. And they were so thrilled because they were such good quality and had intelligent responses to a question that the team had asked. The spookiest thing was that one of the voices that they had captured was that of a little girl. They asked if they could come back and investigate again. He agreed, although admittedly pretty freaked out, that his property could in fact be truly haunted. Yeah. But also very eager to find out more about his ghosts. Yeah. Well, couldn't it be like a big selling point for his haunted house that it actually is haunted? Well, yeah. Well, yeah, 100%. As he had followed the investigators around and he'd seen how they operate, he thought he'd give it a go as well to see what he could get. So he got himself a tape recorder. And one night, he just wandered around the hospital asking the normal questions. Is there anyone there? 
Do you want to tell me something? What's your name? Did you die here? Etc. He didn't experience anything, so after an hour or so, decided to go home. As he was driving, he started listening back to his recording, and for a while, his questions went unanswered, until it was in the old ER. And then clear as day, he heard a voice that was not his own say, I'm dying. Oh. Well, that's just creepy, isn't it? It is, but it's also something you would expect somebody to say in an ER. Yeah, true that. So now we're at a time where the haunt is up and running and the cast and staff are all familiar with the hospital and its ghostly residents. So another paranormal team wanted to come and investigate. And this paranormal team actually includes the author of the book I'm using as research for these episodes, Richard Estep. Okay, so he was there. So he was there. He's a paranormal investigator. And he's there. Uh, I think there was three of them the first time they went. So they drove eight hours or so to get to the hospital and spent the night. They were met by an eager Kim and Cammy, Cammy's Kim's wife, and spent a while talking about the different ghosts that haunted the hospital. And also they let them listen to the many EVPs that had been caught there. So here are some of the EVPs. I'm dying. We died here. Caught a bullet. I'm here now. Was whispered by an invisible child in a very creepy way. Another child's voice is heard to be calling, Mom. Some other children's voices were caught too. A little boy's voice saying, Don't touch my blanket. Just like that. Like, not blanket. He said blanket. Yeah. And after someone asked for a loud response, they caught a child singing a wordless tune, followed by a giggle. You children's giggles can be Yeah, freaky. it's always kids that are weird, isn't it? Yeah, kids are weird at the best of times. It's always going to be something like, ring a ring a rose. In, in yeah. It, it's always something like a that. A tissue, yeah. a tissue, and then we all died. Or something like that. <laughs> so they were excited to hear about all these Class A EVPs that had been caught. However, to their great disappointment, they got nothing. And after reviewing their footage, they saw nothing either. So after reporting back that they had not caught anything at all, the owner said, I think I know why. You're out of season. There is only three of you, which isn't a lot of energy to feed off. This place comes to life mostly during the Halloween season, where we can have as many as 30,000 people coming through the doors. That's a lot of energy. If you want you could have to come back then. It was agreed and the team decided on doing a six-day investigation, starting on Halloween night. Oh, the most convenient night for you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So they get energy off the living or it's because there's more dead people around? No, I think it's the... Well, it's just the energy off people. Okay. And, you know, they might quite enjoy the fact that the building's full of screaming, terrified people running about. Mm. Some of the team asked if they could be actors in the horn just for fun, which Kim and Cammy, of course, accepted. So once they were all makeup upped, they were set in various parts of the building to scare visitors coming through. After a while, one of the team asked if he could walk the building as if he was a visitor to get the full experience. Again, Kim and Cammy said, of course. So off he went to encounter all sorts of cast members dressed up as hellish doctors and nurses or zombies and monsters that'll make you jump at every turn. He went in one particular room where an actor in dungarees was sat in a chair. He looked at the investigator and aimed a shotgun at him. 
Of course it had no bullets in it, but it made a loud bang as he shot it. Oh, bloody hell. The man was terrified and picked up the pace. He glanced behind him to see a little girl pulling on the shirt of a woman, talking to her in a way he assumed was, come on, mummy, let's keep going, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. The little girl was dressed in a white lace dress. As the actor in the chair did not react to them, he just assumed they were two cast members. After finishing his tour, he went back, and when asked, he said, It was great, but the girl and the lady were seriously creepy. To which Cammy said, Which little girl? None of our actors are dressed like that. I think you saw our ghost Sarah. Dubious, he asked to see the cast after closing, and after looking at each cast member, he can safely say that none of them looked like the little girl he had seen. He had encountered, unbeknown to him, one of Asylum 49's many ghosts. Oh my god. The funny thing about this place is that the ghosts seem to enjoy the fact that it has been turned into a haunted house. Some even take to joining in and scare people, just like the cast. Except they're not the cast. Yeah. For example, Sarah. When she appears, she looks like a solid person. She speaks like a normal person. No one would ever know except the fact that she just simply does not exist. She has long black hair and wears a white lace dress. She apparently died around the age of six of pneumonia. Kim said on the first night the haunt was going to open, he went to check all the cast were in their places and ready. But as he walked through, he saw no one. He found all the cast in the staff room saying they're not going back out there until the little girl is gone. So Kim was a bit like, what? Because they were basically all terrified. So they were like, we are not working until the ghost is gone. Yeah. So Kim went out in the hallway and he saw the little girl too. And she was crying. She said she just wants to join in and scare people too. Oh, bless her. And she said it wasn't fair that she couldn't. So he suggested that she go hide under one of the beds and that she could grab people's legs as they walked past. And that way, the you know, the cast didn't have to see her. Nobody knew she was there. He didn't mention it to the cast, but she felt like she was joining yeah. in. Yeah. With these words, she vanished into a black mist and did just what he said. She began grabbing people's legs. They, of course, thought it was just part of the show. I wonder what they would think if they actually knew what was grabbing their legs. Later, he was called by some security saying they had seen a black mist going from one bed to another through the evening. Kim just said, oh, don't worry about it. It's just the smoke machine. Yeah. (laughs) That's all you need to say. (laughs) Sarah tends to stay around the nursery area and has another little girl spirit with her called Tabitha. Tabitha is a lot more shy than Sarah and wears a yellow dress. We are not really sure what caused Tabitha's death, but the resident psychic medium, Misty Greenstead, thinks it was either a brain tumour or a brain hemorrhage or something to do with, you know, kind of brain stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The two little girls apparently become very sad when the season is over and the cast members are said to go out of season just to hang out with them in the nursery and keep them company and even take them toys. One of the staff says that after dozing off, in there they were oh this is horrifying they were awoken by sarah playfully licking their hand oh oh god what a weirdo (laughs) yeah the kids are so weird aren't they like don't tell me that at least one of your kids wouldn't do that 
probably just like randomly come up and lick you. No, but like weird because it's a ghost, but that's just a very childlike thing to do, isn't it? Kids are weird, aren't they? It would be absolutely terrifying. Horrifying. But yes, I see what you mean. Kids do do gross stuff like that. Kids are terrifying when they um, just, yeah, (laughs) when you wake up in the middle of the night and they're like half a centimetre from your face saying, oh, mummy, I think I'm going to be sick or, oh, mummy, I've had a bad dream. And you're like, why are you this close to my face? (laughs) (laughs) Once I um, pushed Caitlin over because I went, like that, I'm pushed. (laughs) Oh, kids. There is also, around the same area, another spirit who does not often show herself. An older woman called Bonnie, who appears to be in her late 50s with short blonde hair. She wanders around the nursery in her hospital gown and still rolling her IV stand next to her. She died of cancer. Oh, bless her. People wonder why she'd be haunting the nursery. But they found out that not only does she search the whole hospital for her husband, but when she was alive, she would often come to the nursery to look at the newborn babies. Aww. Yeah. So Sarah, Tabitha and Bonnie are but three of many, many ghosts that haunt Asylum 49. And now I shall introduce you to two more. So Asylum 49 has one long hallway going through it. As most hospital corridors, it's pretty foreboding and unsurprisingly, it's a favourite spot for a couple of ghosts. Do you know what I mean? You can, you can kind of picture it, Oh, can't I can you? picture it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hospital corridors are just ridiculous. Yeah. So the first one is called Robert. He only appears in shadow form, but is tall and broad and walks with a cane. He is known as a harmless spirit with a wicked sense of humour. He likes to jump out at people and make them jump, which, not funny, first no, of all. No, not funny. But I imagine to him it's jokes. Yeah, that, that's, that's how he's meaning it, but not funny. He's been caught on EVPs telling jokes. And this next part I find absolutely terrifying, even though it's been described as funny. He was once seen crawling on his tummy like an army soldier. You know, <laughs> like they do the army crawl. Yeah. Into the conference... Oh, God, it's terrifying. Into the conference room. Remember the room that had all the sheets hanging from the ceiling? Yeah. Yeah. So he's crawling like this soldier so no one sees him so he can make people jump. (laughs) I think that's funny. I think he sounds hilarious. Yeah. yeah. I think how bored you'd be as a ghost, though. You'd I just hope, be like, oh. yeah. And I think fun, because we don't often think of ghosts as fun, and he sounds like a right hoot. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine all these ghosty friends laughing at him. Uh, his dad ghost jokes. Yeah. <laughs> Uncle Rob and his jokes. It's funny you said that, actually, Becky, because, well, you'll see in a minute. So they've caught footage of this shadowy figure, figure attaching himself to groups going round the haunt completely oblivious to the fact that they are indeed being followed. Robert is what would be called an intelligent spirit as he communicates and interacts with the living. The resident psychic medium, so Misty, she's back, says that Robert is actually there to protect the many children spirits from the other not-so-nice entities. Which brings us to the next one, Jeremy. Jeremy likes to hang out in the same hallway, although he does wander through the entire hospital as he wishes. 
He died after being severely burned in a fire. Oh. Ooh. Which makes his apparition yeah. terrifying in aspect. His face oh, looks distorted him. and twisted from the burns. He is known by the female staff as a being a bit of a creep, as even though the staff and owners have set clear rules to the spirits that they must never follow them home, Jeremy thought he would follow Misty, remember? The psychic yeah. medium. So Jeremy thought he'd follow Misty home and she caught him peeking at her while she was in the shower. Oh, fucking creep. <laughs> what is it with peeking? <laughs> Why is it so creepy? Because it fucking oh. is. So despite his appearance, he enjoys being caught on film. And one visitor snapped a pic of him in the middle of the hallway in what appeared to be a clown mask. Kim oh, jokingly God. referred to him as the creepy clown face guy. So Misty later told Kim that he had actually really hurt Jeremy's feelings as what he had initially thought was a creepy burn victim slash clown mask was actually Jeremy's face. Oh, bless him. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, from severe burn trauma. Kim never called him the creepy clown face guy again. We're not. He's not a nice guy, girls, okay? Maybe he's not nice because he was burnt alive. Yeah, probably. Things like if 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 he come up to you all like burn and skin falling off, and it was like hi, you'd still be like ooh and run yeah. away because he's like all burnt. So he probably just got fed up of it and started being a creep. Maybe he's also known to lie about who he is and pretends to be other spirits present at the hospital and imitates their voices on EVPs. Why he does this is unknown, but there is always a huge giveaway. I think just banter. (laughs) Wherever (laughs) Jeremy is, the smell of smoke follows. Oh, bless him. One of the security guards had a run-in with Jeremy as he was installing a new camera in the hallway. He was there with his brother and young son. The son was holding the ladder when suddenly the doors that led to the lobby swung open and a man walked in. His face covered in bandages, but you could still see his eyes and his mouth. The entity looked at them for a while and then he just walked the entire length of the hallway and disappeared. The brother of the security guard turned to ask him, did you just see that? He hesitated as he didn't want to frighten his young son that was with them. But the boy also said, did you two just see that? And added, can you not smell the smoke? I mean, that is creepy, isn't it? Misty has also said to have witnessed residual entities. So, like, we've talked about this before. A residual ghost is basically just a ghost that repeats the same actions over and over and over again. Yes. They're not aware of us at all. It's probably, like, a traumatic moment or, you know, something that they did a lot. Like the janitor constantly mopping the floors or... Yes, yeah, 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 exactly. And they won't interact or anything like that. So... Misty's said that she's seen residual entities. Uh, They're completely unaware of their new surroundings and do not interact with the living at all. She remembers one instance where she saw a nurse pushing a patient in a wheelchair. They looked as real as can be, except they were paying no attention to anything or anyone around them and simply just faded away. And that is where I'm going to stop for this week. Oh, no. Uh-huh. 
So yes, you'll have to tune in for more ghosts at Asylum 49 next week. It's a bit like that um, film, 13 Ghosts, like all different ghosts, all different mm. stories. I don't think I've seen mm. that. And it reminded me of the Chateau de Fougeray that we did. Yeah, I was just going to say that. It feels a bit yeah. similar to that, doesn't it? Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I'll tell you more next week. What did what do you guys think? Though I think it's super cool. I think really yeah. cool. I'm a yeah. fan of an interacting ghost. I think fun. Do you? No, I think fun once you've made peace with it. So like the point where they're at, where they're like, oh, that's Jeremy. Do you know what I mean? Or whoever, and like Sarah, like they they know them, so they're like, oh, you know. They're they're peace at peace with them, I suppose. I think that's fun. Yeah, the non-scary yeah. ones, and everybody's kind of used to them. And yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I can see. Yeah. I still think it would freak me out a little bit, though. But then I'm a bit of a wuss. yeah. I don't want, really want anyone peeking at me when I'm in the shower. Ghost well, or he's, not, he's not a nice ghost. Apparently. Well, thank you for your story. Thanks for your story, Emma. That was really, really good. I'm looking forward to part two that I will listen to rather than participating. That's yeah. that's that's brilliant. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm fascinated by the place. I actually like. I'm quite good at that. I'll never get to go there. Well, you never know. Right? Are you guys ready for mine? Mate, I was oh, born ready. Born ready. It's like my murder, whole life has been leading up to May the twelfth, Thursday night. I don't know what the time is, but... Becky's murder story. Why are you sucking up to Becky and you didn't suck up to me? (laughs) You think I'm sucking up, but has my the tone of my voice changed once? Are you just being sarcastic? What's going on tonight? (laughs) (laughs) What's happening? Very, very passive. (sighs) We like each other, really. (laughs) (laughs) Just showing the people a different dynamic. Yeah. Basically, what it is, my whole thing about being on this podcast is I'm just um, reaching out to single men, so I feel like I have to show them the many faces of Tash. Oh, I see. See what I'm doing here? So tonight we're getting bitchy Tash. Bitchy Tash, yeah. And a little bit of bitchy Becky, actually. Sassy. I like to say sassy. Sassy. Yeah, bitchy's horrible. Sassy's fun. Sassy suits you both. You're both very sassy. Do you continue? Go on then, Bex. Go on. <laughs> Tell us about it. What happened? <laughs> Tell us about it, Sturd. Who did it? Who did it? Do you want me to cut him? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Oh, well, actually, these are the type of people that you really don't want to get involved with, actually. Well, talk for yourself. I will make my judgment. Okay. You don't know what type of person went to. Pretty sure the type of people Becky talks about are definitely the kind of people you want to avoid. <laughs> yeah, and these are probably the scariest, yeah, the type of people that I definitely do not want to mess around with. <laughs> I'm not I'm not liking the they, like multiple. They? Yeah. Oh, yeah, there is multiple. Are they hillbillies? No. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> like the hills have eyes. I love a hillbilly murder. Hillbillies are awesome, but hillbilly murders. I mean, I don't love any murders, but I like hillbillies. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. In the murderous way. No, this isn't about hillbillies. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh. Right. So, as some of you may know, Mexico has quite a big cartel problem. I would love to be. Oh my god. A drug lord's wife. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love the perks. I wouldn't like the fact that there's always that risk of being murdered because yeah, of my husband's activity. Yeah, take away that. But oh my god, I would love it. You want to be on Mob Wives, don't you? Yeah. That's all you want. Yeah. Oh, the Wonga. Yeah. And then when my drug lord husband gets, like, shot, I then take over the company. Yeah. And I smash it out the park and I'm, like, raking in the money more than he did. I don't like how your voice has changed to a really evil tone. (laughs) (laughs) Did you hear that, Emma? She's like, and then all the money would be mine. I would take over the world. How fun would it be to be like a drug lord's wife, though? Probably not that great, to be fair. Listen, I'm glamorising it. It's not not an attractive thing. No, it's not attractive things. I feel like you've thought about this quite a lot, Tash. Oh, I have. Have you not? No. Like, ever. Right, Mexico, drug cartel. Yeah, as you may know, they have quite a few problems with this cartel and it causes a lot of murders every year. I have actually heard that. It is troublesome. Probably not the way I want to lead my life. No. And also, if you were a drug cartel and we were your best friends, that means one of us would eventually betray you. That's always what happens. Well, it's obviously going to be you, Becky, because you mugged me off about knowing the word rhetorical, so. And she deleted your gold stars, just saying. Yeah. So the gold stars would then be drugs. So, yeah, I would have been jealous. <laughs> yeah. You're Judas. Judas. <laughs> I'm the well, that's my one. cartel name. Thank you for that. Jorge. <laughs> Jorge. <laughs> <laughs> In the first half of 2019, there were a staggering 17,608 gangland murders in Mexico. That's ridiculous. That means there's around about 94 people being killed every single day. Fucking hell. Don't they have, like, huge issues with, like, police being corrupt? Yeah. That and a lot of feminicide is a lot of crime against women uh, at the minute. And it's just because they have this, the cartel and everything, there's, there's not enough police to look into everything. And like you say, there are some of them that are corrupt as well. Yeah, they're just bribed, like, to just not give a shit, basically. It's that I think the cartel is so big that they just have to tolerate some of it. Yeah. That, you know, there's no way around it. And there's a lot of, there's, it's an eye for an eye, isn't it? So. Yeah, exactly. And they're always feuding between cartels and everything. It's uh, Mm -hmm. a big fat mess. Why do we know so much about drug cartels when literally none of us do any drugs or live in Mexico? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but there's lots of films and programs about it, isn't there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they often have lots of sexy men in, so... That's where we get all our information. That's why we listen so much. (laughs) Very reliable sources. (laughs) Absolutely. 2019 saw a total of 33,554 people being murdered, making it the bloodiest year on record so far. Jesus Christ. 2019? Yeah. 
Well, I suppose they couldn't after that because we were all shut in, weren't we? Yeah, COVID saved lives. There was still a lot, actually, in 2020 and 21, just not as much as 2019. The bloodshed often spills into affluent tourist hotspots, including Mexico City and Cancun, where millions of tourists holiday every summer. Do they murder the tourists? I think some of them accidentally get mixed up in it. But I think often in those countries, like, because it's so notoriously dangerous, you're not meant to leave. Certain areas. Certain areas, are you? Like, there's the holiday destinations. You have to stay within those sort of complexes and, like, the the private beaches and stuff like that, aren't they? Yeah, well, Cancun, it's basically the beach parties, the hotel parties and the boat parties. And then you don't really go many other places. Not like I've been there. I'm speaking from, uh, you know, watching other people. Watching people's Instagram. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and documentaries and stuff. While the latest homicide statistics are pretty horrific, the methods cartels use to keep rivals in check is just as terrifying. In recent years, large cartels have splintered into smaller fractions who then battle for previously shared turf. So they're all splitting and then fighting over the turf. This escalates the violence and prompts kidnaps and tortures. Gangs fighting over control of lucrative routes for smuggling drugs, migrants and stolen fuel often seek to intimidate their rivals by leaving dead bodies hanging from bridges or dumped in public spaces. That's gross. The spiralling cartel wars have left a backlog of 30,000 unidentified corpses. My God. Yeah, languishing in trucks and morgues all around the country. That's sad for those poor families. Yeah. As well as those murdered, tens of thousands of Mexicans have gone missing in recent decades and have just never been found. So some people do genuinely disappear and... Others are trafficked and then others are just lying somewhere and they're still not discovered or they're never identified. Round to our story and who's the subject of it this week? It's a guy called Santiago Meza Lopez. He's the son of Rita Lopez and Salvador Meza. How cool is the name Salvador? It's really cool, but do you also remember that song you had to sing at school um, in France where it goes... Hiseo Santiano. Matolo. Yeah, what's that got to do with Salvador? But the first geezer was called Santiago. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I do listen. <laughs> More than Becky, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> That was some good singing, by the way, girls. I like how the uh, no singing thing is working out. Yeah. You, you actually sung first in this podcast. Did I? What did I say? Yes, you did. What did did I do? I can't remember, but you definitely sung first. Did I? Yes. Okay. She'll edit it out to prove you wrong. (laughs) Well, I know I'm right. Was it just like a tuneful word as opposed to an actual song? Still counts. Yeah. (laughs) Still counts. It does not. Yes, it does. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be honest, I enjoyed it. Oh, thanks. You're welcome. So, Lopez, Lopez, Lopez. 
started. Is that a song or was that just you having a glitch? <laughs> did did Becky just glitch? I think she was rapping, wasn't she? <laughs> was that a rap? <laughs> <laughs> That's really good for a white girl in her thirties. <laughs> was it? <laughs> I literally thought you got stuck on a word. I was like, you okay, babe? (laughs) Uh, uh, The embarrassment has made me lose my place. Anyway, so Lopez started work as a child in the Guamanchil area in a factory that manufactures bricks for construction. All right. Nice bit of child labor. Uh, He had to work there to help support his family made up of nine children. That is a lot of kids. Yes. That is a lot. Anyway, so he travelled to Tijuana, or Tijuana, I don't know how that's pronounced, in the mid-90s in search of better living conditions. So, moved to a big city for his dreams to come true. According to him, his criminal life began in 1996 when he found out that his sister had been raped by members of a criminal organisation in the area. That's sad. Yeah. Wanting revenge. That'll do it. That'll do it. If anything's going to send you over the edge, it's someone raping your sister. Yeah. Mm. So wanting revenge for her, he joined the Tijuana Cartel, a criminal organisation. So he joined them through El Tio, which is the guy that he knew in this cartel. So his real name is Theodoro Garcia Simontal, and his nickname is El Tio. And the cartel was led by the Arellano Felix brothers. He joined this because there was a name there of them assassinating the rapists. So at first, Lopez worked for the Felix cartel, taking care of the horses and doing, like, masonry work. So quite honest at the minute. So he eventually started dealing for them. And through his amazing dedication and cartel work ethic, he was promoted to drug office keeper. Well done. Yeah. So Hard work does pay off, boys and girls. Yeah. <laughs> have you seen? It's just like a normal job. You have to, like, keep at it. Work, at, work Listen, ethic. you got to work your way yeah. up. This is what he's doing. <laughs> Joking. We're joking, people. This is all said in jest. So, at the time, the Felix Cartel were fighting with the Sinaloa Cartel over different routes in and out of the US. Because of this, there were many raids, kidnappings, and murders between the two cartels. Obviously, with all these murders, you need to get rid of bodies... Oh, God. And so the Felix cartel would usually dump bodies in, like, rivers or sewers. The problem with this is there is quite a big threat of being caught, literally red-handed, with a body in your hands. And also, moving bodies around is hard work. Yeah, but think how muscly they'd be. Oh, my God, Tash, please, somebody just be a boyfriend. you do need a boyfriend. Someone come and whisk her away, sweep her off her feet. So they started thinking and looking into more inventive ways, maybe, of getting rid of some of these bodies that they have Uh knocking around. I don't like where this is going. The heads of the organisation brought in some hardened foreign criminals to get a little bit of advice of how we can sort out uh, all these bodies. So they're seeking advice from other, other criminals, criminals 
from other countries. Yeah. They're outsourcing information. It's brainstorming. Yeah. They're brainstorming. So yeah, they wanted to outsource a little bit of information on uh, body disposal. So they invited Lopez along to see one of these experiments that one of these new criminals are showing them. I wonder if they used LinkedIn to find each other. <laughs> no, there'll be like a dark web web version of that, won't there? Yeah, I wasn't being serious, but yes, you're probably right. There is a dark web <laughs> version of that. Um, so they invited Lopez along to one of these meetings and the criminal that they saw was showing them how to dispose of some of these bodies. So they poured uh, litres of water, lye and other chemicals into a drum and asked Lopez to drop a leg of beef in there. They told him it should sit for two hours and then he can move it around, poke it with a stick and stuff. But you know they're doing that to see whether it would work for a body, so... No. No, you're just spoiling yeah. things, Tash. <laughs> yeah. No yeah. one would have guessed. I thought they were making uh, a stew. Ah, uh, you... <laughs> you've actually... Funny you should say the word stew. <laughs> anyway, H- I'll get on stew. with it. Yeah. So after two hours, the meat had completely dissolved, leaving just the bone. About six months later, they called Lopez in again, and one of the drug cartels told him that they're now going to experiment with human flesh. I'm going to send some guys to train with you as well, so that you can all learn this new job that we're having going in in the cartel. I mean, they're taking care of their employees. They're making sure they're well trained and everything you know yeah to be honest they're sounding better than some of the jobs i've had so far (laughs) yeah i was gonna say true the first body was dissolved in one night they filled a drum with 200 liters of water and chemicals and they undressed the body put him inside turned on the gas burner and left it there all night so it must have been bubbling like a, a witch's cauldron also isn't that like a fire hazard yeah. I assume someone was watching it. I hope they were. They would hope they were taking it in turns. Reckless yeah. murderers. That's what yes. they are. Oh, the next day they looked at the barrel and it was full of thick scarlet coloured gloop yuck. Uh which was all frothy and just thick manky human globs. Delightful. Yep. Yeah. With all the bone fragments at the bottom of the barrel. Under the cover of darkness, they put the barrel in a pickup truck and took it to a nearby canyon and they threw it over the edge. Well, tipped it out. Right. Three months later, they did the same thing again. Lopez apparently at this time said that he didn't want to do it anymore. But with the cartel, once you're in, you're in. You're in, aren't yeah, you? Too late. There's no then going and getting a job down the 9-11, is there? It's one of them things that you can't quit really, can you? Oh, it's a job for life. Yeah, exactly. It's a bit like a marriage till death do us part. Yeah, exactly. You're married to that. You're literally married to that type of job. Yeah. He was soon boiling bodies every day. Oh, what a shit job. Yeah. Uh, but this, it did have its perks. Did it? Years passed. Yeah. And Lopez was stuck with this job. He got paid $600 per week. So that's quite a lot. No, Becky, that doesn't feel like a lot. $600 per week? For boiling a body? In Mexico. Yeah, but you're 
disposing of bodies. What's the average wage in Mexico? No, I'm not saying that it's not a lot of money for Mexico, right? I get that. And I get, like, at the time in 1996 or, you know, in the late 90s, that probably was quite a lot. But that's not a lot of money for the risk that you're yeah. taking. Well, yeah, and the mank. Also, chemicals, like... Oh, he was wearing, he was wearing masks. Oh, oh well, there you go, then. He wore masks. Yeah, it's yeah. fine. But, yeah, I see what you mean. There's Yeah, but then also you could go to prison for doing this. Yes. Well, we know who he is, so he obviously gets caught at some point. Oh. Oh. Boiler! His work, cooking the remains of the victims, earned him the nickname by which he is known, and which is El Pozolero, which roughly translates to the stew maker. (laughs) Or the soup maker. That's gross. Nice. Yes. So he would teach his methods to others. He was completely desensitized to the horrors of his job. It was just a normal job to him. He even installed drainage where the dissolved human remains were dumped. We also, he said that he'd wash the drains down with hot water because the remains tended to stick to the pipes. But grease does. He's a man that takes pride in his job, isn't he? They're all. They, yeah. Everyone tells you never to stick grease down a drain because it clogs your drain. If you flush it with hot water, it's fine, isn't it? Yeah, I think if you leave the hot water running for a while, but still. So you both put yeah. grease down your drains? <laughs> no, I don't. I dispose of it properly. It? You pour it back in the bottle and take it to the tip. Are you talking like if you deep fry stuff? Yeah, that oil. I never deep fry. I don't deep fry anything at home. I don't I don't now because there's no oil anywhere. And it's seven euros for a bottle of oil. So Is it? It is. I've got some oil, Becky, you can have, but ten euros. <laughs> <laughs> per teaspoon. But what I'm saying, I never I've never had to pour I've never had so much that I've had to question how I'm gonna dispose of it. Well, lucky that you don't have a load of bodies to dispose of by shoving them well, down the road. Well, now I have to do it, so it's fine. Yeah, so you just run the hot water tap afterwards. You just told everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a septic tank anywhere I'd get caught to. <laughs> so his typical work day is he keep makes sure that his body dissolving chemicals and that are all well stocked and everything. He sounds very professional. Yeah. His bosses would call him with a pickup point. He would drive there. Once he arrived, other vehicles would just turn up, like Breaking Bad style, just out of nowhere. The one transporting the bodies would even move a bit more forward or flash their lights. They would then follow Lopez, dissolve the bodies, and throw them down these huge pit, huge, like, natural occurring pits in the desert. Yeah. Or dispose of them by putting them down the drain or whatever. It just depends where the bodies are. Because they can just do it in the middle of the desert as well. Just take all the chemicals with them and do it on site. Right. Yeah. So it's, a you know, it's like quite efficient. They're pretty well organized. Well, yeah. In 2008, El Tio, so the guy that got Lopez into the cartel, had a huge falling out with the Ariolano Felix brothers. Someone definitely shagged someone's wife there. Probably. 
some sort of uh, the old drama. So LTO, the bitch, switches sides and starts working for the Sinaloa cartel. Turncoat. Yeah, that feels risky, man. Yeah. They're going to get him. But this also means that he has the famous El Chapo as an ally with the other cartel. So when El Tio leaves, he gets Lopez to go with him. Oh, no, Lopez, what are you doing? If I was in a cartel, I'd be a big fat pussy and wouldn't dare double cross anyone. Yeah, and I feel like he's made such a good career for himself. <laughs> <laughs> you know. He's got his own nickname. He's a respected member. Why are you double crossing people? Yeah. Oh, I'm so invested in him. Yeah. He apparently would be able to keep his attractive salary. But this means that Lopez would start liquefying his former colleagues. And working oh. alongside the people oh. that he used to liquefy. Awkward. Just a bit. Right. Imagine if you work with someone. You'd be like, oh, do you know my cousin, this guy? And you'd be like, oh, yeah. Oh, shit, I think I might have uh, dissolved him in January. That would be, uh, yeah, a little bit a little bit awkward, like I said. Eventually, in January 2009, police get tipped off about the body smoothie farm that Lopez was running. The body smoothie farm, for fuck's sake. Hold on, though. Is he running it or is he a worker? Because they're two very different things. He's, like, he's boss of the dissolving farm. He's not running the cartel. He's he's running the body disposal department of this cartel. He he is head of body stewing. Yes. Yeah. Head of operations. Yeah. The police set up a raid on one of these farms that he was uh, bubbling bodies around. <laughs> Lopez and the other cartel were having a cook-up, but actually not of bodies for once. It was seafood, and they were having, like, a big barbecue and on a bit of a bender. Listen, man's got to eat. Man's got to eat. The thing is that, would you, knowing that your this guy, your colleague, boils bodies all day, would you want to eat at his house? Would you want to eat food that I wouldn't want to eat his food? I just, no, but I think they're so desensitised to that that way of living. I don't think it bothers them. Well, obviously not. Obviously not. And I can't imagine they're sat there talking about it. It's kind of like that, you know, that unspoken knowledge. We know what happens, but let's not talk about it. Yeah. But then... Some guys started seeing a load of cop cars, like, driving up to the house. So, before the deployment began, a group of people managed to escape in luxury cars. Lopez, unfortunately, was quite drunk and was a lot more intoxicated than the rest, so he was kind of just standing there with his barbecue fork, like, what the fuck? While all the police were just surrounding him and arrest him. Lopez would eventually admit to dissolving over 300 people. Holy shit! That's a lot, in it? That's a yeah. lot. But police say it could be way, just upwards of 650. Oh my yeah. god! He could dissolve about 30 bodies a month, and he was in the business for 13 years. One of the previous farms that Lopez used to dissolve the bodies was nicknamed the Chicken Coop. There, they found the remains of over 240 bodies. Oh, my God. 
what? This is ridiculous. It doesn't sound real. No. Oh, no, it's mad. So yeah. many. And um, there's a picture of, the, of this, and it's just, it looks like gravel, like chunky gravel, all that bark stuff that you put in the garden. Yeah. That's what yeah. the bones look like. They don't look like bones anymore. Like, I wouldn't know right. it was a bone. And uh, from that, they've managed to, I suppose, I don't know if it's DNA, but they've managed to say that there's at least 240 bodies in all of that. Other farms were later found, and that's not including all of the pits in the desert. I don't understand why they didn't just, like, dump it into the water, like, in a river or something, because, like, then the fish would have eaten all the, like, humany fleshy particles and the bones would have just sunk to the bottom. Jobs are good, and... I think it was a whole transport, and it was logistics, wasn't it, before? Just moving the bodies around. And also, bodies do flow. You still have to chop them up a bit. Yeah, but this is once they've been boiled into a stew. All right, yeah. It um, poisoned the water hole. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose it would. Yeah. I'm laughing at the way you said that, not at the fact that it would poison the water hole. It was supposed to be, like, woody. (laughs) I can't imagine they would be that bothered about that, but hey, maybe. Well, people He's still got a drink. what they're bothered about, yeah. Yep. So on, uh, whilst doing a press release, which Lopez was like, stood there with all the police, Lopez actually broke down in tears and apologised to the families of, of his victims. He says that he's not a murderer or a monster, he was just doing a job. You know, because it wasn't actually him that murdered any of the people. He just disposed of their yeah. bodies. However, he remained very tight-lipped about revealing the identities of any of the victims or any of his colleagues in, within the cartel, which is a smart thing to do because I'm pretty sure they would have had him killed if he'd then say anything. Well, yeah, because the prisons are going to be full of, like, people from different yeah. cartels, aren't they? So Exactly. So, yeah, in 2015, he was sentenced for possession of illegal firearms. That's it. Nothing to do with the bodies at the minute. I was going to say, what about boiling thousands of people? Yeah, a formal sentence for that has yet to be set. So he was arrested in 2009, and they still haven't sentenced him for that part. They're just holding him in prison on the firearms charge at the minute. And that's about it. It kind of ends there. There's nothing really much going on since. I don't know if they didn't charge him for the bodies part because they kind of want to get information out of him, but he doesn't seem to be budging on it. And I imagine he's not going to either. Well, no. If you, To be honest, if you want to live, you need to shut your mouth. But I'm sure he's getting pressure from the police side as well. I mean, I don't know what his day-to-day life is like. I'm sure it's not pleasant. But, uh, you know, he doesn't, he's not a top guy, is he? No. Now, he was just basically a worker. He was in his factory breaking bad in all, a lot of bodies, boiling yeah. them in their barrels. And apparently, during his time in prison, he has received a primary education and he's learned to read and write. Or learned Aww. to write, probably, because he left, you know, because he had to start working as a child, didn't he? So he's never yeah. had much of an education. And that's it, really. That's the story of uh, the stew maker. Well, that was grim. Santiago Mega Lopez. Mesa Lopez, even. I'd like to say I enjoyed it, but it was a bit grim. I actually really enjoyed that one. It was interesting. Grim, but interesting. 
I can't yeah. I can't decide whether I feel bad for him because he's obviously had a shitty start in life and just ended up in the wrong crowd and yeah he still he still boiled bodies every day yeah but like exactly. you say he kind of tried to back out but once you're in you're in like we said yeah how you can't leave and he went in there with kind of honorable intentions really of avenging his sister his sister yeah, yeah yeah so it's a hard one isn't it this is the first time i'm like are we rooting for the murderer or no i'm not rooting for him but there's certain things that can be understood uh, yeah okay we'll leave it at that i can kind of yeah. understand yeah we can leave it at that well thanks for that bex thanks becky no problem no problem yeah so i will leave all our social media and our email in the description of the episode if you want to get in touch with us please do if you want to follow us that'd be great and if you want to email us, even better. If you've got a spooky story or a true crime story or just want to say hi, if you look in the description, you'll find everything there. Um, so thanks for listening, guys. Stay safe. Don't kill people. <laughs> and keep it weird. Bye. Bye. Bye.